Please stand for the reading of God's word. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Scott. That error is totally on the office. Uh, we have a, a, a template with a rubric that we give our scripture readers, uh, and the, 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 the scripture is Matthew in the template, and it wasn't changed this week. So thank you, Scott. That is that's certainly not on you. And uh, there have been a few times in my study this week that I might have wished we were preaching a different passage than the one that's in front of me this morning, but this is where we are, and this is what God has called us to today. What a great day uh, in the house of the Lord. He's made it a family day in his providence. Um, couldn't have planned this better if, if I tried in terms of all that we're going through today, even in our town hall, as David reminded us of that being a family gathering. And here we are as a family again, celebrating family, celebrating our communicants, coming to the table as a family, and then looking to God's word as he speaks to the family. So what a beautiful day God has orchestrated and has brought to us today as we dive into his word today. Let's pray before we go into the sermon and ask for God's illumination upon his word. Oh God, we stand in need of, uh, of you. We stand in need of your spirit working in our hearts and lives. We thank you for the faithfulness and the truth of your word, and we pray that you would speak to us now in this moment, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and that the Holy Spirit would reign in our hearts today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. In his effort to make application of the gospel, as we've seen in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul moves now from addressing the larger family of faith, the, the body of Christ, the church, and he drills down even further into the family units within the church, with instruction and how the gospel comes to bear in our lives. Families today, I think all of us would agree, are in desperate need of gospel transformation. And the word of God speaks directly and clearly to that need. And so we can rejoice in that today. We are seeing in our society the disintegration of God's plan for the family, his model from creation. And while divorce rates have remained fairly static in, in my lifetime, actual marriage rates are plummeting in the United States. 
In the last 30 years, the number of adults getting married has reduced by half. And since 2007, the birth rate in our country has fallen by 20%. One in four children are born into homes with no father. That's 17.4 million kids without a dad at home. A child, of course, is four times more likely to live below the poverty line in that situation. We are in a decline in terms of the family. Statistics show that we are nearing a cultural flip as the number of adults unmarried is about to surpass the number of adults that are married. These are alarming trends in our broader society that I know that everyone in this room, I imagine, grieves for and wishes weren't so. The church must be sure that we are addressing these concerns within the walls of the church and within the body of Christ. Strong, Christ-centered families are essential to the health of a church and all of us, every one of us, whether you're married, single, widowed, or divorced, should encourage and pray for gospel-focused families in our church. As the family goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so does our ability to affect change within our society as salt and light. So as we explore this passage today, it would be a grave mistake to pull it out of context as though it were a set of instructions independent from what has come before it. As we have seen, the letter is not divided into independent, unrelated sections. Rather, it is unfolding naturally in a progression as Paul began with who Jesus is and who the gospel is and how that impacts us and then moves into how that impacts our relationships So as we look at the passage dealing with family relationships today, we must also incorporate what Paul has taught us regarding our relationships within the body. For our families are part of the body as well. And this actually creates a bit of a tension for us that we have to reconcile with and we have to move through as we look into the passage today. Up to this point, Paul has emphasized our unity and our equality before Christ, even in our diversity. He told us that the Father, our Heavenly Father, has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light equally. He reminded us that Jesus, our creator and sustainer, has created all of us male, female, child, in the image of God with equal worth and dignity. And in the church, as those raised with Christ, he even goes as far as to say that there is no distinction of Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, for Christ is all in all. And in Galatians, he takes that list further and says there is no male or female in Christ. For Jesus has broken down these barriers that our culture and in our sin that we raise up to divide us and to put between us. 
after introducing this radical equality in Christ, which would have been a shock to the hearers at the time, Paul now addresses the distinctions that do exist in the family and in God's plan for the family. Husband and wife, children and fathers, servant or slave and master. So we must seek to live in this tension while affirming both truths. They are not mutually exclusive. And as we look at how we are to deal with one another in our closest relationships within the home, we must remember the instructions from just a few verses ago. It's good to remind ourselves that this letter would have been read in one sitting, not divided up like we do in our preaching. For there he said, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And we must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying to one another. These are very applicable to our families. And instead of those things, we as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, must dress ourselves, even in the home, in compassionate hearts, kindness, humility towards one another, meekness and patience, putting up with and forgiving each other, and all of this wrapped up with love in perfect harmony. And we must let the peace of Christ rule in all of our dealings with one another. Because after all, we've been called to be one unified body in him. Be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in our homes richly and in our worship and do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting that in Ephesians, in the parallel passage, that this section of church relationships that we have just recapped ends with this statement before moving into the duties of members of the family. Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is mutual submission to one another in all of our relationships as believers. And after laying out all of that in that context, still holding on to all of that, Paul instructs now, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke them. Bondservants, obey your master. And masters, be fair and just. Having painted a beautiful picture for us to this point of mutual submission between brothers and sisters within the church, now we are prepared to look at our roles within the family and society. Paul lays out these duties in, in three pairings in our passage today. We're going to only address the first two of those pairings today, and hopefully we'll get to the third next week. We're going to be looking at husbands and wives, children and fathers. In all of these pairings, he adds to each of these a short 
but significant phrase that if we're not careful, we will overlook. When he asks the wives to submit, notice that it is not out of fear towards the husband. It is not out of deference to a patriarchal system. It is not because she is any less of a person. She offers submission as to the Lord. Look at the child's offering of obedience to the father. It, too, is in order to please the Lord. And even for the bondservants, those that in that society were enslaved, to offer obedience to their master with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. These phrases that we breeze by would have been a brand new concept to Paul's listeners. This would have been countercultural. They would never have heard this idea before, even though those structures were set up within their society. Christian wives, children, and servants were called to live in their role, not for the sake of those in authority, but for the sake of Christ. Scripture is its own best commentary. And as we have seen in our study over the last several weeks, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is parallel in many ways to Colossians, often expounding on the topics even more. And that's certainly the case in the passage today. And so we will be referencing it throughout the sermon. So the first command is to the wives in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Repeating this biblical principle out loud in today's society is not going to win you any friends. Some of you may have already switched, flipped the switch and turned me off or tuned me out. But could I implore you to hang in there for a few minutes before doing that? When we're faced with something in God's word that makes us uncomfortable or that we don't like, the issue isn't with God. You should not refuse to hear God's word to us today any more than I should avoid preaching it. For either of us to do that would be detrimental to our spiritual health and extremely unwise. Our loving Heavenly Father desires to glorify himself through us and to bless us with his good plan. And if you believe that, then there's nothing to fear here. And we should press on in faith. So let's deal with some concerns up front. What if I have an abusive husband who harms me or my children? What if my husband asks me to go against my conscience and to do something sinful? Well, frankly, it grieves me that we even have to answer these questions. But unfortunately, some have used God's word as a weapon against wives and children to do evil. And abuse scandals inside and outside the church are a reality. They make the news almost every day. And some, unfortunately, within the church have chose to cover up and suppress those things. God's people should be the first 
to confront them with openness and transparency. The church should be a refuge for the victims of domestic abuse, not a hideout for the abuser. Paul's instruction is, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The last part of that verse is just as important as the first part. Would, as is fitting in the Lord, include placing yourself or your children in a harmful environment? No, of course not. I would never counsel someone to remain in a situation that is dangerous to them or their children. That would not be fitting in the Lord. Secondly, as we continue in this first statement, husbands, it's important to note that this command is not addressed to you. It doesn't say, husbands, force your wives to submit to you. Fear not, husbands, your turn is coming, your instructions are next. But this is not one of them. In Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, Paul further develops this phrase, fitting in the Lord, and gives us more insight into what that means, where he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The church is to serve Christ as we minister to the world in word and deed in his name. We are his hands and feet. At the same time, we are joined to him as one body, as we've already seen, of which he, Christ, is the head. And as one body, there is mutual benefit to one another. Wives, this is the kind of submission that is being addressed here. This is why he makes this comparison. That of supporting, encouraging, and holding up your husband in his God-given role of servant leadership. But husbands and wives are not operating independently as separate entities in a hierarchical structure. For even as the church is one in Christ, operating in tandem with him, so husbands and wives are operating as one unit, the two being one flesh. This is critical to understand. Ladies, to imagine that your calling as a wife is to be outside of your husband as someone who is there to serve him and meet his demands is to completely misunderstand what Paul's getting at here. We must understand our union in marriage and our mutual submission to one another, as we've already seen, before we can understand our respective complementary roles. I doubt any of us would say that our submission to Christ as the head of the church is a drudgery and that we feel like he uses us as a doormat. Rather, we would argue that our submission to Christ is a joy and a privilege because we are joint heirs with him in glory. Wives, your calling is not to be a doormat. Your calling is to love and support the man that God has called to lead and love your family by willingly placing yourself under his God-given authority. In his commentary on this passage, Peter O'Brien remarks, Submission points to the wife's calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. 
and to help him exercise his role within the family. It is not an absolute surrender of her will, for Christ is her absolute authority, not her husband. Nor is there any suggestion that the wife is naturally or spiritually inferior to her husband's. Ladies, this calling to submit to your husbands is no less a privilege, it is no less beautiful, and it is no less important than your calling to submit to Christ himself. It is a high and holy calling. And as you seek to fulfill it, you are serving the Lord Jesus. Husbands, as you have heard the word of God to your wives, my prayer is that it encourages you to want to step up in your role so that you can help her in hers. And I can assure you that a godly wife will find it much easier to fulfill her role of support if her husband is seeking to love her like Christ. Continuing in verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Many of you in your minds are thinking something's missing there, and that's what we find in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, we are to sacrificially love our wives in a way that encourages them to look more and more like Jesus as they grow in grace. Jesus laid aside his rights. He gave his life's blood, not for his gain, for he lacks nothing, but for our gain out of love for us. This is the gospel. Jesus humbled himself. He came to serve, not to be served. He gave his life a ransom for many. And he suffered the torment and agony of hell for us. He gave it all in order to save us. And it is this, the gospel, that husbands are to reflect in their leadership role with their wives and families. Jesus' servant leadership looked to the needs of his bride, the church, and he sacrificed himself to that end. I ask you, is there any room for abuse of any kind in Jesus' love for us? Is there any room for demeaning words or harsh actions or unreasonable demands? Of course not. Fellow husbands, I want you to know that I stand here in failure with you when it comes to always loving my wife in this way. If you could get Sharon to tell you some of the things I've said and done over the course of our marriage, you might wonder if I was even saved. And I say that truthfully. But in that failure, I have found Jesus is more than enough to offer forgiveness and healing. 
in our marriage. And he is more than enough for your marriage as well. Keep short accounts with one another. Remember as members of the same body as we have already seen and read and studied that we are to put up with one another's shortcomings. We are to forgive one another and above all to love each other while operating in the peace of Christ in our homes and in our lives. One of the most important aspects of being a godly leader in the home is to be an initiator. Even as Christ was the one who initiated his love for us, we love him because he first loved us. So too the husband must be the one who is initiating in love. This is what it means to be a spiritual leader. I recently heard a podcast with Kevin DeYoung who I think was promoting a new book, I believe, on this topic, on marriage. And in that marriage, he said that husbands should be the ones in the marriage who more often than not are saying, let's. That's a very simple strategy and very easy to implement. Let's go to church. Let's pray together. Let's study the word. Let's attend this Bible study. Let's go for a walk. Let's sit down with our children and talk to them about the important things. Let's go on a date. What a practical and simple, easy thing. Sometimes, men, this task seems overwhelming. It seems that we are completely unable to do what we're called to do. But we can begin by simply initiating leadership in our marriage. Of course, it doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have a voice. She has a significant and an important voice, one that must be heard, one that she must bring her knowledge and wisdom and skills to the table in. But the husband is called to exhibit Christ-like servant leadership in the marriage as the head of the home. I don't know a lot of husbands that are good at this naturally. I do know many who struggle with this calling. I certainly do. And it's easy to get frustrated when we fail and to just give up. But we must step up to what God has called us to do for the sake of our families and for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ. And I imagine that your wife, if she hasn't nudged you already, that if she is a believer, will encourage you and give thanks to the Lord for every effort you make in this direction. Husbands, this must be the first and most important calling in our lives. In the same way that Jesus pursued his bride in love above all else, the calling to love our wives must come before our jobs, our recreation, our friends, and yes, even our children. God desires that Christian marriages reflect the relationship Jesus has with his bride, the church. And men, we must fight, we must struggle to that end against all odds and at whatever cost. Jesus gave his life for you, and if you are a husband, your calling is to the do the same for your wife.
The next pair of instructions is to child and father. And by way of extension, I think we can say parent. In some instances, this word is translated parent. Here it is likely an accurate translation to be translated father. But a lot of that was culturally based. Fathers were responsible for the education and bringing up and nurturing of their children. Certainly within our culture, it's often a team effort, even as the father is the spiritual head. So here Paul says, children, you're not getting out of this today. Obey your parents in everything in the Lord, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The first thing to notice is the fact that children are being addressed at all. In this time and in this culture, children were to be silent. Children were not to be heard from. So just the fact that Paul addresses them as members of the covenant community raises them in our faith to a status of worth and dignity. Jesus, you will remember, rebuked his disciples for preventing the children from coming to him. Paul treats them here as responsible members of the community who also have a role to fill in the family structure. Young people, as long as you are at home under your parents' authority, under their household and protection, it is their duty to care for you and it is your Christian duty to obey them in the Lord. This is your responsibility within the covenant community, your church. And Paul gives a pretty big blanket statement here when he says, in everything. There's nothing outside of your parents' responsibility for you, and in everything, you are to obey them. In Ephesians, Paul adds in the fifth commandment. He says, honor your father and mother. And while obedience is required, while you're living under the authority of your parents, to honor them is a lifelong Pursuit. Maybe obeying your parents seems like a drag. But let me tell you, it will serve you well, and it will please the Lord. And think of how countercultural that is. If you're trying to be a light in this dark world to your peers, a young person who gladly obeys their parents as a response to what Jesus has done for you in salvation, that's a huge testimony of faith. God can use you in his kingdom purposes, even in this task of fulfilling your God-given role in the family. So young people, don't underestimate the importance of your contribution to the family that God has called you to be a part of both at home and here as part of the body of Christ. You are an important part of all of this, and God has given you a calling in it. The second part of the pairing doesn't go quite like we think it would, does it? I mean, we might expect it to say, children obey your parents, and fathers rule your parents, and rule your children in the Lord. But he didn't say that. Instead, we read, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. 
And again, in Ephesians 6, he adds on some positive direction as well, and he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as we've said, while the statement addresses fathers, certainly it would address those that are in that role of parenting. And so we don't exclude mothers from this. It's pretty clear that the Lord knows where our failings are going to be. (laughs) Doesn't he? In family relationships. In one phrase, he gets right to the heart of the matter. I mean, parents, do you find yourselves saying more often than not, no instead of yes? Do you find yourself saying, don't do that, instead of, you can do it? Of course, we have to instruct and direct our children in the way that they should go, and sometimes that means negative instruction or discipline. But if we're constantly nagging them and fussing at them, we risk them becoming demoralized and discouraged and giving up in trying to please us in their calling of obedience. I mean, think about it. If your employer or spouse treated you the same way that you treat your kids, would it encourage you to do better or discourage you and make you want to quit? Moms and dads, let me give a little plug here, too, for our upcoming Shepherding a Child's Heart growth class. We take seriously your role in helping to equip you here. And if you're looking for some tools and a better approach to parenting, sign up for this growth class next week at our launch. I think you'll find it a blessing. I think it'll help you as you approach parenting with the heart of a shepherd. Not only should we not discourage our children by being overbearing, but we should also bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, the intentional Christian instruction of our children is critical, especially as our world becomes increasingly secular and immoral. If we're going to lead our children to Christ, we must instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And the great thing is, your church is all on board with that. And your church family wants to help you in that. Our children's director, Jeanette, that you saw this morning as we presented these communicants, these that we're responsible for, and all of her helpers, they are incredibly committed to helping you in this task of raising your children in the Lord by equipping you and providing instruction for your children. The world and Satan are going to compete for your kids by piling up necessary things on your family that are going to pull all of you away from the church and the needful things. We have to fight the temptation to give in to all of the pressure out there and instead to prioritize training in godliness for our children above everything else. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to tell you what activities your family should or should not be involved in. But I am pleading for the spiritual building up of your children. These years of influence are going to go by like that. And as an empty nester, I can now testify to that and speak from experience. You will not regret investing with your children in the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
but you may and probably will regret investing only in the things of the earth to the neglect of that. Some of you out there are wondering, how do I fit into this message at all today? I don't fit neatly into any of these categories or roles that Paul's been addressing. Well, let me give you a couple of things as a way of encouragement and as a reminder. First, remember that these instructions came out of a larger discussion about our relationships within the spiritual family, the church. And as I said earlier, all of us have an interest in our church having strong, Christ-centered families. And families need help from their brothers and sisters. Be an encouragement to those who are raising children by helping in our children's ministry, by loving our children as adopted grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Help to strengthen our marriages by encouraging those who are married. Let them know that it's worth it. It's worth the fight and the effort and the struggle. Some of you might have the ear of a spouse in a marriage situation, might be the ear for that person who's struggling in their marriage. Give them godly scriptural advice, even as we've heard today, not worldly counsel. And God may yet have a calling in your life to be a spouse or a parent, regardless of what your current situation is. So prepare yourself and be resolved to live according to God's directives should he call you to it. We're all in this together, and we all need each other in whatever state we find ourselves in. As I conclude this message today, you might feel overwhelmed by the responsibility of what you feel, or you may feel overwhelmed with guilt for how you've sinned or failed in your role in your family. But remember this. First, Jesus is more than enough for your sins and shortcomings. And his grace is sufficient even in the lives of those you think you have failed. Seek forgiveness from those you have sinned against in your family and determine that by God's grace you will seek to take up your God-given role in his power and grace, asking the Lord to help you in it from this day forward. And secondly, Jesus is more than enough to restore and heal broken relationships. He's in the business of redeeming our failures. And he's in the business of making all things new. It's never too late for Jesus to redeem anything because he is eternal. And he has paid an eternal price for all of our sin and all of our failings. How appropriate it is then that we as a family come to the table today to fellowship with him, to ask of him in our need for strength and for grace. So ask him to strengthen you, to encourage you in this journey, in this path. You may find it necessary to seek forgiveness from a spouse, a parent, or a child. 
right now. I would encourage you, do it in the stillness and quiet of the moment. Before you pull up a chair to the table, make sure that those relationships are right. The Lord Jesus is in the business of redeeming the unredeemable, healing the broken, and finding the lost. Seek him now while he may be found. Jesus is more than enough for our relationships. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it is to us that we might live in grace and live in your strength, even in our family relationships. So we ask for your help in that. And now, Father, as we come to the table of the Lord, strengthen and nourish us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand singing in preparation beneath the cross of Jesus.